Welcome back. This is Father John Arnold, and this is Oro Valley Catholic. In 1822, the famous Romantic poet William Wordsworth wrote a poem to the Virgin and partly about the Immaculate Conception. And what the poet wrote was, Mother, whose virgin bosom was uncrossed, with the least shade of thought to sin allied, woman above all women glorified, our tainted nature's solitary boast. That wasn't the first time that our Blessed Lady was recognized as having a unique position in nature and in the economy of grace and salvation. The Immaculate Conception was proclaimed in 1854 uh, during the height of the Enlightenment. Uh, the Enlightenment desacralized nature. Um, deism was uh, the rampant uh, the theology of the chattering classes, the idea that God uh, wound up the universe and it went on on its own way, but didn't intervene. It was uh, a rejection of the, of the Christian understanding of the incarnation. The Immaculate Conception was proclaimed as a reassertion of the truth of the gospel. So today on Oral Valley Catholic, we're going to ask the question, is the Immaculate Conception actually in Scripture? And the answer is, oh, heck yes. And we're going to talk about that. I don't know if you had the opportunity to uh, catch my podcast on the not-so-lost Ark of the Covenant. And that podcast was about the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Proved to be a pretty popular podcast. But I asked the question there, was the Assumption in Scripture? And many people said, at least at my parish, said, no, of course it's not there. But the answer is, oh yes, it's there. It's there in spades. The word assumption is not in Scripture. The word immaculate conception is not in Scripture. The word real presence is not in Scripture. The phrase, I should say, the word trinity, not in Scripture. And neither is sola fide, sola gratia, or sola scriptura. These theological phrases are hermeneutics. They're ways of reading Scripture. But to examine the Gospels... The Gospels are telling the story of how Mary is the new Eve, conceived without sin. And so in this edition of Oral Valley Catholic, we're going to talk about how our hermeneutic, our way of reading Scripture about the Immaculate Conception, makes sense of the book of Genesis, the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, the Gospel of Luke, uh, how what is being discussed there is what we come to call the Immaculate Conception. So it's very clear in the Pauline writings that Paul sees Jesus as the new Adam, uh, that the old Adam was the one through whom sin and death entered the world. The new Adam is the one through whom grace and eternal life enter the world. It's clearly taught in Romans chapter 5, Verses 18 to 19. Here's what it says. For if by the transgression of one person, death came to reign through that one, how much more will those who have received the abundance of grace and of the gift of justification 
come to reign in life through the one person, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, just as through one's transgressions, condemnation came upon all, he's been talking about Adam and sin. So through one righteous act, acquittal and life came to all. For just as through the disobedience of one person, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. It's in this passage, passage and passages like this that our doctrine of original sin is found and also of Jesus is the new Adam. It's also very clearly what St. Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 47. So too it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. But the spiritual was not first, rather the natural and then the spiritual. So the first Adam was a natural being. The second Adam is who supernatural spiritual life enters the world. The fathers of the church, um, that would be the apostolic fathers immediately following the time of the apostles. And that would be in the second century, notably St. Justin Martyr and St. Irenaeus. Have this understanding based on St. Paul that what Jesus had done was he was a recapitulation of creation. That creation was started over again through, through him. The Greek word that Irenaeus uses, it seems to be universally translated as recapitulation. A recapitulation is what a lawyer does standing in front of the jury and says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, over the last two weeks you have heard the following evidence. And then in his own way, he goes through and summarizes the evidence. So Jesus is a summary of the Old Testament. I don't know if you remember a few podcasts ago, I talked about theories of history um, and dis, uh, post-millennial dispensationalism was the one that uh, kind of Presbyterian America came up with or evangelical America came up with. But Irenaeus did not look at the Old Testament as a theory of history. He saw the Old Testament as a mosaic of images of Christ. And so Jesus as the new Moses, Jesus as the messianic heir to David, Jesus as the priest uh, in the order of Melchizedek, and for St. Irenaeus specifically, Jesus as the new Adam, that he was a restatement of what it meant to be a human being, what was the original intent of God. So if you remember chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus refers back to um, the question of uh, marriage in Genesis and when he's asked about divorce and he says it was not intended in in the beginning uh, when man and what God has joined together um, no man must put asunder is how it's often uh, translated but the, the idea is he's going back to what human beings are supposed to be in God's creative plan and he's the image of Adam, the new Adam, lifted up by grace. So in a recapitulation, the new Adam restates and recreates um, who the human being is supposed to be. We enter into that reality according to St. Paul and, and uh, the whole Christian witness, at least of the Orthodox Christian witness, 
um, through grace and baptism. And so this is the Catholic understanding. If this is recreation and recapitulation, as St. Paul talks about it, well, if there's a new Adam, where's the new Eve? Is she in Scripture? And the answer is yes. But you have to know how to read Scripture because our theology of the Immaculate Conception, our understanding of Scripture, develops over time as we learn to read how the first Christians who wrote the Gospels understood how Mary was the new Eve. So let's turn to Genesis, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Revelation and talk about the Immaculate Conception. Remember what St. Paul had argued in Romans and 1 Corinthians, that sin entered the world through one man, and so acquittal, forgiveness of sin and eternal life, enters the world through one man, Jesus Christ. And it's really about chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. It's why I say really all roads lead back to Genesis, because the human person in the New Testament is being recapitulated through the saving power of Jesus Christ. So in the first reading for uh, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, it's the story of what happens after Eve falls to the serpent and then Adam takes the fruit and eats it from Eve. God comes looking for them. They're hiding because they're naked. This is the first story. And then the scripture picks up that after Adam had eaten and he was naked, because the woman gave him fruit, he blames the woman. And then the woman, if you remember, blames the serpent. And so this is the part of the scripture that I want to focus on. And this is from Genesis 3. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you shall be banned from all the animals, from all the wild creatures. On your belly shall you crawl, and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head, while you strike at his heel. Um, the man called his wife Eve, because she became the mother of all the living. So parse that out. The woman against the serpent. The woman's offsprings against the serpent's offspring. The woman's offspring will strike at the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike at his heel. And so the image that's being given here is that the serpent will be crushed by the offspring of the woman. But in so doing, the serpent will bite the offspring of the woman, and that person will in turn die. This is the prophecy. How much imagination does it see how that's fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Because it is a prophecy of redemption. Christ preaches against sin. Christ is crucified by those that he pointed out and uh, accused in his time. He's by the leaders of the temple, um, by the Roman government. Um, do you remember in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist is baptizing, how he refers to the leaders that come down from Jerusalem? Do you remember what he calls them? You quote, brood of vipers, end quote. He's referring back to Genesis and the offspring of the serpent. Jesus several times in John calls them 
offsprings of the serpent. And so let's turn to the Gospel of John because this is clearly the way the Gospel of John is organized around the fulfillment of this prophecy about the woman's offspring striking at the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. So let's talk briefly about how John is structured before we get to some of the key scenes. So if you go through John chapters 1 through 3, then and you just take your little marker, and every day that it says day 1, day 2, Think of Genesis on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. Because you remember how John starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing came into being except through the Word. He's referring back to Genesis. And then the first three chapters are structured just like the first chapter of Genesis. So I'm going to read it to you in its structure. Day one, John the Baptist gives his testimony. That's John chapter 1, verses 19. Day two, the next day it says, John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus is baptized. Then it says the next day, so that's day three, John chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus meets Andrew and Peter. And then it again says, and the next day, day four, John chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus meets Philip and Nathaniel. And then it says, not the next day, but the third day, this is John chapter 2, verses 1, and so there's been four days, then three more days. Oh gosh, it's the seventh day. And what happens on the seventh day? Friends, there's a wedding at Cana. And do you remember that Adam blames Eve because he, she gave him the apple? She invited him to sin by offering the apple. What does Mary do at the wedding of Cana? They have no wine. Do whatever he tells you. And so where Eve invited Adam to fall, the new Eve, Mary, invites Jesus to begin the work of redemption. John is modeling his gospel clearly on Genesis and how Jesus' work, Jesus' ministry, is structured around the fulfillment of this prophecy about the Eve's offspring um, and the destruction of Eve, evil. So in the, the, what really makes this interpretation pops is this whole idea that Eve invites Adam, Mary invites Jesus. Eve invites Adam to sin, Mary invites uh, Jesus to perform a sign. So who's all present in both Genesis 3 and in John chapter, uh, John chapter, uh, John chapter 3 is the woman, the new Adam, and the invitation. And then the gospel unrolls from there. And so turn to John chapter 12, verses 31 to 33. Think of this in line of Jesus seeing fulfilling the uh, prophecy in, Je in Genesis 3 that I just discussed. Quote, now the judgment of this world, now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. And so now judgment on the world, he says, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. And then again in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, about the defeat of the serpent, which in the first century Judaism, the serpent was thought of as the devil or Satan. So quote from John, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Well, the John 19, he refers to the defeat of Satan. But in this passage, it's the foot of the cross. And there at the foot of the cross is Mary and the beloved disciple in Jesus. Do you remember one of the things about uh, John's gospel is at wedding of Cana and at his crucifixion, he refers to Mary as woman. In Genesis, Eve is referred to as Eve two times. In Genesis 3, she's referred to as woman 11 times. So it's the dominant understanding is not her, her name, but who she is, the woman. And so to recapitulate what I've just said, um, the days of creation, um, that John in chapter 12, John in chapter 19 talks about the defeat of Satan. Then at the foot of the cross, and I think everyone remembers this, Jesus just before he dies looks to his mother and says, woman, behold your son. Then he says to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home, became a child of Mary. Oh, the offspring of Mary. Now you turn to Revelation chapter uh, 12, where uh, the woman crowned with 12 stars gives birth, and then uh, Satan is defeated by Michael and cast out of heaven. This is all chapter 12. And then goes to make war on the rest of the woman's offspring because she gave birth to a son. So there's the woman, Mary, who's Eve. There's the son, who's the new Adam. There's the serpent in Revelation chapter 12. And the serpent makes war on the rest of the woman's offspring, which, friends, is the story of the church. It's all about Genesis chapter 3. And so, just in brief, how is Mary shown to be the new Eve in, in Genesis and in John and in Revelation? Um, Eve's called woman 11 times in Genesis chapter 3. Mary's called woman two times in the Gospel of John. Uh, Eve invites Adam to commit his first sin. Mary invites Jesus to perform his first sign. With Adam, there's the fall, tempted by the devil to sin. With Jesus, he defeats the serpent at the crucifixion. Mary is the mother of the offspring, that is, the mother of Jesus, who conquers the serpent by striking and killing the serpent, overcoming sin. The woman whose offspring conquers the devil is, is Mary. And so you see Mary as the new Eve right next to the new Adam. And this is not something that's been made up in the last few years or in 1854. If you go back to St. Justin Martyr um, in his dialogue with Trypho, and this is from the second century, he says, For Eve, having conceived the word of the serpent, brought forth disobedience and death, but the Virgin Mary received faith and joy. And so these are some of the earliest church fathers in the post-apostolic age. And then there's the great Saint Irenaeus, and I talked about him because he's the one who says that the new Adam, Jesus, is a recapitulation of what it means to be a human being. Here's what he says in his book Against the Heresies. The knot of Eve's disobedience was loosed by the obedience of Mary. For what the Virgin Eve had bound fast through unbelief, this did the Virgin Mary set free through faith. And so that's in his third book, Against the Heresies, from the late 2nd century. 
Then it's repeated by Ephraim the Syrian in the 4th century, Cyril of Jerusalem, St. John Chrysostom, and, uh, and St. Jerome, and St. Augustine, all in the 4th century. And so this idea of Mary as the new Eve, um, this goes back to the ancient church. But St. Augustine said it very clearly in the 4th century. He said, Only you, Jesus, and your mother are more beautiful than everything. For you, O Lord, there is no mark, neither is there any stain in your mother. And remember that it's um, uh, uh, St. Augustine who articulates, uh, oh, that's actually St. Ephraim the Syrian that said that. It's St. Augustine who articulates the whole idea of original sin and what he says about Mary and the Immaculate Conception. We must accept the Holy Virgin Mary concerning whom I wish to raise no question when it touches the subject of sins out of honor to the Lord. For from him we know what abundance of grace for overcoming sin in every particular was conferred upon her who had the merit to conceive and bear him who undoubtedly had no sin. So St. Ephraim the Syrian, St. Augustine, both in the 300s, that's the 4th century, both talk about Mary's sinlessness. This is what the Immaculate Conception is. It's part of Mary being the new Eve because as Jesus is the recapitulation of all human beings, so Mary is recapitulated as the new Eve. Um, do you remember in Genesis 3, it wasn't part of this reading, but it was part of the creation in the, in the first chapter of Genesis, not chapter 3, that when God creates, he says everything is good on each of the days of creation. He only changes that when he gets to the human being and says that this creation is very good. And so the recapitulation, the re restoration of uh, that relationship with God through baptism is the good news that Jesus brings into the world first and foremost through his mother by virtue of the Immaculate Conception. And so I'd like to take a moment and conclude by talking about the gospel. So let me, like a lawyer making a final statement, recapitulate what I've said in this podcast. So St. Paul says, Jesus is the new Adam. If you look at how the Gospel of John is structured around the seven days of creation, that Mary is called woman at the wedding of Cana, which is a bridal, is a bridal feast, a marriage feast. She's called woman at the foot of the cross, tying the crucifixion to uh, the marriage, the, the cosmic spiritual marriage between Christ and the church. That present there is Mary. It's why she's mother of the church and the image of the church. And so uh, she's the one that invites Jesus to begin his salvific work. She becomes part of his salvific work when she becomes the mother of all the offspring of the new Adam by virtue of the life of grace. Um, and that the early church fathers in the second century, um, St. Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus recognized it, uh, 
Why are there so many church fathers that recognize it in the fourth century, the 300s? Because the church was finally free from persecution by the year 325. So all of this conversation came above ground. You'd expect that there'd simply be uh, more discussion of it. And the understanding of Mary as the new, uh, as the new Eve, icons to Mary, um, images of Mary uh, become much more prominent. One of the oldest icons of Mary arrived in Rome in the year 390, um, and it's there in Santa Maria Maggiore, St. Mary Major, um, Salus Populi Romani, the, the uh, health of the Roman uh, people, that salvation comes into the world through Mary's fiat, uh, her saying yes to God. Uh, where the old Eve said no and rejected God's word, Mary says yes. And so as we read the gospel from the Immaculate, um, from the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which would be Luke chapter 1, let's just uh, read through it with the uh, background of the discussion we've already had. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed her. Let's go back through a couple key passages. First, an overview. Remember, Mary is the one who receives the Holy Spirit when she's conceived, uh, when she conceived Jesus in her womb. She's also present in Acts of the Apostles, which is also written by Luke, when the Holy Spirit descends upon that upper room where all the disciples are, like tongue, tongues of fire. Mary is there, just like in John's Gospel. Mary is at the wedding of Cana, this, this, this union between God, the human being, that comes through in the human person, because Mary says, I do. But also the church, the offspring of the woman, she's there with the Holy Spirit as the church is born on Pentecost. And so Luke is tracking what John does between the wedding of Cana and the crucifixion. And so think about all of this in light of that. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. That can be interpreted and understood as full of grace, not full of sin, the Immaculate Conception. And if you want to interpret it consistently with Book of Revelation and the Gospel of John and uh, St. Paul's understanding of the new Adam, and we would say, maybe the new Eve, um, that this is the most consistent way to understand this early Christian witness. And then 
when the angel talks about uh, the conception of Jesus, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will be called great, the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Remember at the end of the reading from the book of Genesis, Mary is called, Eve is called the mother of all the living. Well, Mary becomes the mother of all the living in the light of grace. This is one I really like. Remember, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? Mary's saying, how can I become pregnant because I have no relations with a man? And so some of our um, separated brethren uh, from the Reformation would say, well, she and St. Joseph had relations after Jesus was born. Or um, she had other sons because uh, they interpret uh, these other passages that way. But the way to think about how can this be since I have no relations with a man, the way to interpret that is uh, when we interpret, I don't smoke. Um, I don't smoke now. I'm not planning to smoke tomorrow. And I'm not going to smoke between now and the day I die. And that's how Mary's I have no relations with man is to be interpreted um, because she is the new Eve. She is the mother of chastity. And so the end, it's this great yes in contradistinction to Eve's great no, where Eve is tempted by the serpent. Mary says, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. So that is where the Immaculate Conception is in Scripture. It's spread in Luke and all the Johannine literature, and it's the necessary corollary of how Paul talks in Romans and uh, Corinthians about this overall story of how sin came into the world and how redemption comes into the world. And I'll leave you with this. If you ever get the chance to look at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo did nine tableaus of creation of, up there, and it's, it's famous. You remember some of the images. At the absolute center of it, the middle, the middle painting, is the creation of woman. Isn't that interesting that Michelangelo puts it there? His women are very strong in the Sistine Chapel. Adam is a slumber. Mary's being drawn out of the side of Adam, and she's got her hands together in, uh, well, Eve is being drawn out of the side of Adam. She has her hands together in worship of her creator. And the way that Michelangelo paints it, if you'll take the time to look at it, is like she's a bridge between the creator and Adam, the new Adam. And so think about that as you think about the reading from Luke today when Mary says yes to God. Well, God bless Mary. Thank you, a blessed lady. Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our nature's solitary boast, as William Wordsworth reminds us in the early 19th century. God bless you. Enjoy your feast of, of the Immaculate Conception. And if anybody ever asks you, is the Immaculate Conception in Scripture? Your answer is, yes, let me show you. This has been another edition of Oral Valley Catholic. Mm -hmm.